starting uh, in chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, help us. We always need your help to hear your word and to respond rightly. Um, but I know many of us especially need extra help this morning, even in our bodies, to stay awake and alert. And so uh, we pray you would be at work by your spirit to, to give us ears to hear and minds that it can be attentive and open hearts. I pray that you would melt away the hearts that are hard this morning, that you would comfort those who are grieving and who are bewildered and maybe lost, that you would give hope to those who are despairing, and that you would assure them that your mercy is on offer to all who put their hope in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing to um, learn about the mercy of God in the book of Jonah. Uh, the first week we saw that God's mercy runs ahead of us. That as far away as we think we can get from God, uh, even when we reach the very bottom, the very depths, that God's mercy is actually ahead of us. It is already there. It is available to us in Christ. And we saw last week um, that God's mercy is boundless that it extends beyond us, despite us, um, that God's mercy is all around us. And today, um, I, I hope that we will see that God's mercy is even for those who are weak in faith. That God's mercy is even for those who are weak in faith. Now, what do I mean by weak faith? What is faith? Well, Christians believe that we are saved from our sins. We are saved from death itself by faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who he sent into the world to rescue us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to cleanse us, to set us free from sin so that we might live with God forever again in a renewed world. We are saved from sin and death by faith. And there's a lot of confusion about that little word faith. What does it mean? to have faith. Um, it's very easy to think of faith in purely intellectual terms. Faith is what I believe. It's what I 
am convinced of. It's what I think. And while that might be a component of faith, the Bible uses the term faith much more like the term trust. It is a, it's a relational term. It's a term that involves entrusting ourselves to God and committing to him throwing our whole lives upon him, depending on him. That's the sort of idea that trust uh, is, is actually about. Um, I love the movie Indiana Jones, uh, and uh, I love when he seeks out the Holy Grail. And if you know the story, he at one point has to cross a great chasm. And uh, he looks down and sees danger and uh, death, you know, as, he, as he's got to get to this doorway on the other side, um, but he knows from his study and his ideas that he is somehow supposed to be able to walk across this deep chasm right across thin air. And he doesn't understand how that's possible, but he believes he can walk across. And so at, uh, at a certain point, he finally steps out. He takes a step of faith. He trusts that God somehow will enable him to walk across this chasm and as he steps, he finds his foot is on solid ground. That is what faith is about. It's not irrational. He had good reason to believe that there was a way for him to stand in what looked like an empty chasm. But he ultimately had to entrust himself to God and put his life on the line. And he stepped out. And what's interesting is that he kind of closes his eyes and in terror does that. He you can see that he's not entirely sure that he's right, um, that he's going to be able to walk across this bridge. It's a sort of weak faith, but it is a faith that does indeed step out over this chasm. He had low confidence, you could say, but he did have faith. And that's sort of what I want to talk about today, that sort of weak faith. It's, it is faith, but um, there's a mixture of doubt uh, in some ways, not it's not impressive faith. It may be desperate in some way, and yet it saves. That's what I want us to see today, that Jonah, despite running from his calling, going into a boat, fleeing the other direction, being indifferent to the sailors and their lives, sleeping while they could have, he could have been crying out to God, ultimately despairing and say, just throw me overboard, sinking in the water, that Jonah demonstrates weak faith and God's mercy is for him and it's for you and I as well. That's the message I want us to see today. God's mercy is even for those with weak faith. And I just want to talk about two things, immature faith and incomplete faith. Now, um, this passage that we're looking at today, chapter two, uh, is a strange passage um, in that it's there's a story going on. And then in the middle of the story, we get this sort of stylized poetic prayer. It's a psalm, really. And there's debate about, is this exactly what Jonah prayed? That's kind of how the ESV translates it, that as he's um, sinking in the water, this is his prayer. Say, you know, verse, I think, um, verse 1 of chapter 2, excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 2, it says um, the word saying, and it's translated as if this is what Jonah's actual words were. Other people think this prayer in chapter 2 is Jonah looking back and giving a psalm of, of praise to God where he's telling about when he was sinking and in the fish and he prayed. So there's debate about exactly what's going on, but there's a clear sort of structure to this passage that sort of parallels um, itself. So it's what we call a chiasm. It starts here and it moves closer in to this central verse of the passage, and then it backs out the same way it came. And right at the heart of this passage is verses 5 and 6, where Jonah um, essentially undergoes a death and a resurrection. 
at least symbolically. Some actually think he, he may have actually died uh, while he was in the fish and that he was resuscitated as he was spit out. But there's, there's a sense in which he's going down into a grave, into death, and then he's brought to life again. And that's at the very heart of this passage. Um, it starts with the fish swallowing him. It ends with the fish spitting him out. Um, and what's important to note about this passage is that this whole experience that Jonah is undergoing in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is, uh, is in some ways symbolic of Israel's life also. That Israel is a rebellious people that have rejected their calling. They have not been a light to the nations, and uh, they've stubbornly resisted God's chastisement. And then ultimately they undergo a death, an exile, and then uh, a resurrection, a return from exile. And Jonah's sort of living out the life that Israel will soon be experiencing if they continue to harden their hearts. I say all that to frame uh, what I want to look at, uh, our first point. I want to look at this immature faith of Jonah. And I'm going to hop around in this chapter, verse 2, 7, 3, 4, and 5. But we see this picture of Jonah and his, um, his desperate faith. Uh, it's an immature faith. And that God has mercy for him, even with that sort of faith. Um, you know, I already noted that he, you know, he's been running from God. He's been indifferent. He's been despairing. You know, he's practically suicidal, being asked to be thrown overboard. But at the last moment, as his life is slipping away, Jonah is sinking in the ocean. In some sense, he's maybe he's swallowed by the fish. He's in the belly of this fish. And as his life is leaving him, he, he sends up this desperate prayer. It's a last-minute thing, right? It's not impressive faith. It's very desperate. In some ways, you could say it's immature. But note, notice what it says here in chapter 2, verse 2, that Jonah calls out to the Lord for deliverance. He says uh, in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. And then in verse 7, uh, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Two times he basically notes that he's really at the last moment of his life here. I mean, this is as desperate as it gets. He's in the dark ocean. He's, he's drowning. His breath is about to be go. He's losing consciousness. He's, he's swallowed by a fish. He's at the very end and he throws up this prayer, this crying out to God for deliverance. And in verse two, we see that um, he, he does this acknowledging that he deserves to be where he's at. It's kind of subtle, but in verse 3, he, he says, you cast me into the deep. He's saying that God is really ultimately behind him being in this situation. That even though he's been running from God, that he deserves to be where he is. This is his own decisions have led him to this place, and this is God's um, chastisement, his discipline on him. In verse 4, he says, I am driven away from your sight. And so there's part of this crying out to God is a recognition that he's there uh, in part because he deserves to be there. And then in verse um, five, we see that he acknowledges he is powerless to do anything about the fact that his life is about to be um, taken away. He says in verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mean, he's, he's literally describing sinking to the bottom. The reeds are there, the, the base of the mountain. He's underwater. He's in the dark. He's powerless. He cannot save himself. There is no way out of this situation. 
And this together, these three things, that he cries out, that he acknowledges that he belongs there because of his own decisions, and he's powerless, this constitutes real faith. And you might be asking, you know, is this real faith, though? I mean, it's, it's pretty desperate. Does that strike you as not really authentic, that he's only crying out after all this? When he's desperate, he's about to die, of course. I mean, it's sort of the faith in a foxhole idea, right? How does that make you feel that I'm saying that, that Jonah has real faith? Does that make you a little angry, maybe? Like kind of frustrated, like, oh, come on, that's faith? You're, you're giving him credit for that? Maybe it confuses you. Maybe you're indifferent to it. You don't really care about whether or not Jonah had faith at all. Or does it make you rejoice a little bit? And maybe it brings you some glad surprise or, or even hope. Now, I suspect that many of us are suspicious about this. You know, is, is he really trusting God in this moment? Did he really mean it? I think a lot of us probably have that instinct. Um, you know, a lot of us have heard um, and, and have been concerned about this sort of notion of um, easy believism, right? This sort of cheap grace that, um, you know, people just say, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they go on and they live their life. Uh, completely unconcerned about God, right? They profess to be a believer, but they live maybe committing deep injustices regularly, or or they just demonstrate no evidence at all that they want to follow Jesus. And so um, it's sort of Christian in name only, right? Nominalism. A, a whole tradition, I would say the evangelical tradition as a whole, is largely shaped by a concern about that problem. That, um, that there are people out there who say they're Christians, but they don't really believe it um, because their faith doesn't, it's not mature. Uh, it, it's, it seems lacking, and it seems like it's just sort of fire insurance or just desperate attempt to get out of some disaster. And that's, that's on one end, um, that easy believism. And that, that's encouraged in some circles. But then on the other end of things, a lot of evangelicalism has taken this sort of rigorous posture to faith. That, um, that real faith means that you carefully examine what a Christian should be like, and you and you have knowledge, and you agree with that knowledge, and you're committed to it, and you're bearing fruit, and you're you're rigorous about professing the faith truly and really living it out. Right? It's got to be sincere, um, and this this sort of approach to faith leads to um, the idea that real Christians are kind of few and far between. Between there's not a lot out there who really get it, who are really trusting in Christ as they should. And so there's a lot of skepticism about most people who profess faith in Christ. And these are sort of two extremes, this cheap grace and this rigorism on the, on the other end. And as we look at Jonah, we say, well, what kind of faith did he have? And I want to say it's not nominalism. It's not, it's not cheap grace because nominalism, people who, um, who are Christian in name only, they don't think they deserve to be in distress. They don't think they're guilty of anything. And as a result of that, they think anything they face, they can really save them. Um, they can save themselves. They're not powerless, right? That's, that's typical of nominalism. But on the other hand, I wouldn't say this is rigorous faith either. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty desperate. Jonah is only calling out to God as his life is fainting away. It's certainly not very mature. And as the book unfolds, we find that Jonah has a lot of growing to do. And so it's not mature faith. So what's going on here? Well, what I want to show you is that Jonah has saving faith because of what faith is. John Calvin says, faith is like an empty, open hand stretched out toward God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. That's what faith is. It is an empty hand stretched out to God 
to receive from him with nothing to give to him. It's all about receiving from him. It's, it is, it can be desperate. It is desperate because it's calling out to God in our emptiness and our powerlessness and our recognition that we, we need to be delivered from ourselves and from sin and from death. And so that's why when we look at what Jonah does here, we see this is, this is saving faith. Jonah in verse seven says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. The temple, as we just read earlier in Chronicles, is the place that Solomon said, as we dedicated this temple, he says, um, God, when Israelites look to your temple and they cry out for forgiveness, save them. It's the center of God's blessed presence with Israel. It was the place that um, everyone would turn and direct their prayers because it was the symbolic way of, of saying we're looking to God to deliver us. It is the place where sacrifices were made to bring forgiveness. It was the place where God's presence was with Israel and he promised to deliver them from their enemies. And that's what Jonah remembers. And that's where he, he sends his prayers, so to speak. And today we do the same thing. We, we look to God's holy presence in the person of Jesus, the true temple, temple of God. We look to him for forgiveness and deliverance. And we, we um, open up our hands to him and we have nothing to bring him and we desperately call on him to forgive us and to set us free. And we remember the Lord. We remember that he laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins and that he went all the way down into Sheol, out, down into the depths of death. And he rose again in power, defeating our enemies so that we would have mercy from God. So there is mercy for immature faith, for Jonah and for you and me, as long as our faith is directed at Jesus Christ. Now, I say all this to comfort you, to encourage you, but also uh, I want to tell you that um, we're not supposed to stay immature. I mean, that's the whole point of the idea of maturity. Maturity is to grow up. And um, this sort of faith that's desperate and last minute is not how we should live our whole lives. We should grow in faith. And I think Jesus touches on this in his own ministry. In Luke 17, he talks about having faith like a mustard seed. And he said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And that's a strange little image. Mustard seeds are very, very small. He can say, as long as you have real faith, even if it's tiny, what does it become over time? It grows up into this great tree. Uh, that is the nature of, of faith. It, it may not be impressive. It may be small. It may be immature. But as um, we walk in faith, God cultivates that and it grows. And we, we gain um, this strength over time, where our assurance, our confidence in God's love for us grows more and more. And of course, the Westminster Confession of Faith is very good on this. If you want to look up our confessional documents and, and read about faith, I think it's chapter 14, it talks about how our assurance may grow and diminish in, in certain periods, but ultimately there's this trajectory where God wants us to grow in assurance and have greater confidence and to cry out to him, not only at the very last minute when our life is about to fade away, but um, in every moment of our lives, true saving faith will continue over time. It will grow in greater confidence and assurance, and it will ultimately bear the fruit of love. And so I'm, I'm not advocating cheap grace this morning, but I also want us to hear that if we have this very rigorous idea of faith, we can very easily not have mercy for people who are demonstrating real faith, even if it's small and immature. The second thing I want us to see today is um, that Jonah has incomplete faith. It's related. It's maybe a different way of saying the same thing. But um, Jonah really has half-hearted faith. It's, it's incomplete faith. He does, in this passage, repent 
from running for, from his call. That's implicit in what's going on here. He acknowledges he's where he is because of his own actions. He's run from God. He's forsaken what God has called him to do. Um, and so he, he, he owns that. He's like, yeah, I, I'm here. I ran. That was wrong. And now I need to be delivered. But Jonah does not really get to why he ran. He doesn't repent of the why that he ran. And the rest of the story is going to show us that. We're going to see that God still has work to do in Jonah in uncovering what led to this whole situation to begin with. Now, notice the, the kind of conflicts in this passage in Jonah's faith. Look at verses 8 and 9 in particular. Let me read those. Um, at the end of this prayer of thanksgiving, he, he sort of makes this profession of faith. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a condemnation of idolatry. Then he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's, it's very good. That's a good profession of faith. Con condemning idolatry, uh, sort of renewing his commitment. I will make my offering to you, an act of worship, a commitment to follow you, um, and, and declaring salvation belongs to the Lord. All very good, right? He trusts that salvation belongs to God. And yet, this, this declaration condemning idolatry seems to be, in some ways, a sort of uh, implicit condemnation of Nineveh, the very people he was called to go preach to. So in the midst of running and forsaking his calling, he's proclaiming true things, but it, in some ways it's sort of targeting the people that God has called him to minister to. Um, he's repenting. Yes, he ran from his calling, but he's not really repenting of his attitude towards these people that God has called him to go proclaim mercy to. In verse 9, he commits himself to God, but again, it sort of reflects this sense of righteousness, this pride um, over and against the Ninevites. So Jonah does repent and believe, but he isn't really facing yet all the ways he needs to be saved. And I want us to see there that God's mercy is for people with incomplete, mixed, imperfect, somewhat blind even, faith. Now, I say this because a lot of us have grown up in environments where um, we've been taught to constantly be afraid about whether or not we have real faith. It, it, the, the whole church environment, maybe the whole family environment we grew up in was this constant questioning, do you really know that you know the Lord? Are you sure you're really trusting in him? And it's constantly causing you this anxiety do I know God? Am I really being sincere here? Have I really repented of everything I was supposed to repent of? And there's this constant analyzing of our faith. Do I have enough joy? Do I have enough peace? Do I have enough? Do I have the right desires? Do, am I content enough? Do I love God enough? And we notice these things in us. I, well, I am a bit angry sometimes, or I'm kind of bitter about this, or I have these doubts. I don't always trust God like I should, and I've been depressed recently, and what does this mean? Do I have real faith. And I, I got to tell you, this is especially true, not just in people who come from those sorts of church environments, but if you've come from a situation where you've been abused or spiritually terrorized by people, or if you um, come from a home where you learned that it was your responsibility to make everybody happy all the time, um, these, these challenges are especially great. This anxiety about whether or not you really have faith. But what I want us to see here is that all of scripture teaches us that we are not supposed to be having our eyes fixed on our faith. 
Our faith is not the thing that we're supposed to constantly be looking at and examining all the time. Now, it is good and right to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Paul says that explicitly in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. He tells people, hey, examine yourselves and make sure you're in the faith. That is an important and and a proper thing to raise sometimes with people, especially when there's this stubborn, hard-hearted resistance to God's word, explicit teaching about how we're to live, and you just you just want nothing to do with obeying. Okay, yeah, examine yourself, sure. But should that be the constant posture of your life, this constant anxiety where you wonder, is my faith whole? Is it total? Do I really mean it in every way? And what we see with Jonah is that he is totally blind still to his hardness of heart towards the Ninevites, and yet he has real faith, and God gives him mercy because God is always at work in us. It's a process to grow in faith. You're never going to be able to see all of your sin. Your faith is always incomplete in this life. But it is not the quality of your faith that saves you. It is Jesus who saves you. Tim Keller, pastor, has this great, I love that I've, I've used it before, but he has a great illustration of this. If you're falling off a cliff, and as you're falling, you look to reach out to grab something, and you see this tiny little root coming out of the side of the cliff, and you think, oh, there's no way that's going to hold my big body, And but you say, whatever, I, and you reach out for that thing, and you grab it. What actually will save you? Is it your confidence that the root can hold you, or is it the, the strength of the root itself? And he says, of course, it's the root. The root is what will save you there. It doesn't matter how much confidence you have that it can hold your weight. If you reach out and grab it, you can, um, if it's strong, you won't fall. And that's important to understand about our faith. It, it's not how pure it is. It's not if you see all of your sin. It's not if it's incredibly strong. It's Christ that saves us. Now, that doesn't mean that God wants Jonah to just continue with this sort of um, incomplete faith. No, it, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, but what we see in this passage is that Jonah undergoes a death and resurrection. I, I mentioned that earlier. Verses 5 and 6, he describes going into death itself, so to speak. I mean, symbolically, maybe literally. Some people think he actually died and then was transported and resuscitated when the fish spit, spit him out. But the point is, he says, the waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He goes down, he, he dies, so to speak, and he comes up into new life. This is a death and resurrection, and it is the means by which his incomplete faith is transformed and grows into stronger faith. And um, friends, Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the one who dies and goes into the tomb for three days and rises again. His death is an end to um, uh, all of our rebellions against our callings. His death is a, is a crucifixion of our sin, and his rising is a bringing us into new life. That's why Jesus died and rose again. And so um, our lives are actually filled with this cycle of dying and rising. That's how God strengthens our faith. When it's incomplete and we still are blind to a bunch of our sin, um, God takes us into these, these places of death and resurrection. He exposes us. There's suffering. There's, um, there's repentance. 
and yet he brings us alive again. And that is uh, what enables our, our faith to grow and to mature as it should. So it's more complete than it was before. That's the Christian life, this constant death and resurrection. And God's mercy is for us in those deaths and resurrection. It's for those who do not see all of their sin. It's for those who struggle. It's for those who doubt. It's for those who today maybe don't even want to be here because your heart is cold or maybe a little angry. God's mercy is for you too. And this means that it is good and right for us to pray like that man who came to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That should be the constant cry of our hearts. We die to our unbelief and we rise again as our faith grows in Christ. And we do that um, in this confidence that faith is open-handedness to God. It's not bringing anything to him. It's open-handedness. It's, it's looking to God to receive what he can give us. It's, it's looking to God in our powerlessness over and over and over again and finding new ways that we are less powerful than we realized. Now, one of the implications of all that I've said this morning is uh, how we view our past as Christians. Um, this, this is, a, I think, an important thing to highlight for us when we think about the nature of faith. I hear this all the time. I've, I've said it in my own life, and now I have a very different view of how to approach this. But when you look back on your life, and maybe you've been a Christian a long time, um, you can look at times in your life when you were, you were a Christian or you thought you were a Christian, but you realized that you were blind to a bunch of stuff. You were doing things that were wrong. You weren't trusting God like you should. You're not sure you were as committed as you should have been. Whatever it might be, you look back and you realize, man, did I even get it? Was I even a Christian back then? And, um, and for some of you, that may be true. Maybe you, you weren't a Christian. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really in the business of finding the right point when suddenly you became a real Christian. But what I want us to realize is that as we look back, we're going to always see that we didn't get it like we should. Because you've grown up a little bit. You've matured. Your faith has strengthened. And as you look back, you realize it wasn't what it should have been. It was weak. It was incomplete. It was half-hearted, whatever. That doesn't mean that you didn't know the Lord and that he wasn't at work in your life. That you weren't saved. Who knows? <laughs> All that matters is right now you're clinging to Christ. So you don't need to analyze that and, and re-narrate your whole story and cast doubt on you know, your upbringing or something like that. You can rejoice that God is faithful and continues to work in your life to bring you to repentance, to continue um, leading you to trust in him, to bear fruit in all sorts of new ways. And as you look at the trajectory of your life, you say, ah, God has been keeping me and I, and I can trust him in all these different things that I've faced. So as I close this, I want to encourage you in three ways. I want to first encourage you, if you are here today and you've never received God's mercy, if you've never looked to God and said, uh, I am uh, a sinner, I've gone my own way, I've brought all sorts of disaster in my life, I've been trying to live independent of God, and um, I have hurt people and I've dishonored God, I need forgiveness. I need, I need help because I can't seem to change my life. I need to be set free. I need to be cleansed of all this junk that I've done to myself and to other people. Then I want you to know that God's mercy is on offer to you today. And all you have to do is open your hands up and say, Jesus, I need you. I have nothing to bring. Please give me your life. Forgive me. I want to be changed. I want a new life. And um, God's mercy is for you. And you can begin walking with him. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can walk with him and see new life. 
If you are a Christian, though, then I want you to rest in God's mercy today. I, I want you to look at the way that God deals with Jonah and realize that he deals with you in the same way. Take heart that God is patient with your weak, incomplete, immature faith. There is mercy for you. He loves you. And he's at work in you. And he's faithful. And if this is true, if you believe in God's mercy, you're trusting in it, then the third thing I want us to see is that um, this over time can produce um, a sort of comfort and curiosity in your life. It's important to, to examine ourselves and to see if we're in the faith. That's true, but it, it should not produce this anxiety in us constantly. It should be um, not, am I really a Christian, but how does God want to continue showing me things that need growth in my life? And so um, you, can, you can kind of relax and begin to be comfortable with um, things that are being exposed in your life. You don't have to be so defensive. In fact, you can be curious and open to correction because you want to see God work in your life. Christians should be the most curious and open people in the world regarding criticism and correction and rebuke. We should be the least defensive people in the, in the world because we know we don't see all our sin. And there's mercy for that. And so we're eager to hear, what am I not seeing? Where do I need to grow up? And then we die. We die to that sin. We repent of it. We name it. We ask God to help us. And we see him bring resurrection again by his spirit. So as we go to the Lord's table today, um, I want us uh, to go with open hands, um, asking for God's mercy and remembering the Lord. Remember that he gave his body and he shed his blood to forgive us. And now he feeds us and he gives us new life again in this meal. And we take it in in faith as we're united to Christ in his death and resurrection, um, trusting that um, he's still at work and he's work, at work right here. So let's, um, let's pray together.